Y'all, I'm encouraged by what the Lord is doing in the next generation here at Christ Community. And um, there, there are all kinds of opportunities to engage with that. Uh, maybe you've got a kid who's back there in the kids area. We're so thankful for their small groups and the, the goals that they've set for themselves this year. Uh, you might have seen registrations for camp are out. Um, you heard the story. You want your kid to go to camp? I want my kid to go to camp. And, uh, and so and Sunday nights, students are um, really blossoming and, and growing into their own and finding their own identity as they learn to follow Christ on Sunday nights at 5. So uh, engage. Engage with that in whatever way you can. Hey, this morning we're going to finish up our Dwell series. And um, if you want to grab a Bible and find Revelation 21, uh, it's really close to the back. Really close. And uh, if you don't have a paper Bible or if you want to engage with some of our sermon notes, you can find us in the Bible app. And uh, you can go to the More tab and Events, and uh, you can find Christ Community there, all right? And while you're pulling up Revelation 21, um, I want to, first of all, invite or welcome any of you that are new with us or uh, a visitor and um, just say we're so glad you're here. And I also want to kind of catch you up on where we are in this series so that hopefully some of what we talk about today makes sense. Um, this idea of dwelling, it comes from a word that we find uh, a few times in Scripture. And what we're seeing is that this idea uh, actually begins in the garden with God wanting to dwell with man and then sin messing that up. And then the story of Scripture where God is consistently trying to figure out, how can I dwell with people? Because like, in spite of the broken relationship with sin, how can I dwell with people? And today, we're going to talk about Revelation 21, the end of the story, when God achieves that task and we are able to dwell with Him eternally. So, uh, we picked up the beginning of this story with an odd encounter um, in Exodus 33. It's right after the, the golden calf, the story of the golden calf. And God would only dwell with this guy named Moses in a tent outside of the camp. He wouldn't be among the people. Last week then, we talked about this, this desire of God's to dwell. That no matter how much people, ourselves included, kept messing up, God kept finding ways to renew his covenant with them. And Jesus last week was the case in point uh, of this. He came to dwell, John 1.14. And we, we talked about the word meaning to tabernacle. Uh, and he came to dwell among humanity. And so both of those ideas have pushed us to think about uh, this beautiful mystery of grace and truth. The grace that God wants to dwell with us and the truth that there are standards and expectations that lead to his dwelling. We talked last week about the idea that we have to tackle the truth. That's our part in renewing our covenant with God. And so as we begin today, I want to ask a logical question that comes from that idea of tackling the truth. Why on earth would we want to do that? Why would we want to tackle the truth? Because sin may have lost its power, but it still inflicts a lot of pain. And when we tackle the truth, we quickly run into our sin we quickly run into the things that cause us to fall short or make terrible choices or inflict pain on us. So we read from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to talk through uh, this problem of pain just briefly. 
And then we're going to um, really get into the nuts and bolts of how we at Christ Community want to tackle the truth together in a way that allows us to live and, and, and experience and enjoy the grace of God. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. If you would follow along with me, and then I'm going to pray for God to speak through his word to us. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And he also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Father, thank you for your word that reminds us of your promise promise of a new heaven and a new earth, a place where you dwell eternally and we are with you, a place with no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more two-party political systems, no more cancer, no more pain from broken relationships. Father, thank you for that promise. And so, Father, as you remind us of that promise in your word this morning, I pray that you would use your spirit to speak to us, that you would change us by your truth so that we might enjoy your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sin may have lost its power, but it still inflicts pain. It must be true as we read this passage. We read of this place that that pain doesn't exist. And yet we know that those things still do exist today. You know, when we think about the idea of pain and and how sin is related to our pain, many of us quickly fall into this idea of thinking that the pain of this world is somehow directly related to our sin, that there's this karma-like relationship, that if I do something bad, pain is sure to come. And there's a lot of nuance to that. And we're not going to dive all the way into that today, but I want to say that to say this. We're really excited about a new series that we're going to begin in February and March called It Doesn't Seem Like Love. It's going to accompany these tough questions that we're answering in small groups, and it's going to be through the series of, uh, through the book of Job. And if there were a series that I, that, man, I've just been so excited for people to be able to invite people to and wrestle with the tough questions, this is it. And so this morning, maybe as you think about the pain that we're experiencing in this world, maybe it brings someone to mind. Maybe that's someone that needs to be invited in the next couple of months as we go through this. 
What I'm saying when I say that sin may have lost its power, but it still inflicts pain, is not that if you sin this morning by not paying attention, you're going to walk out of here and something bad's going to happen. But what I am saying is this. Sin separates humanity from God. And when that separation happens, God cannot dwell. He can't dwell in our lives. Being separated from God is always painful, even if we can't identify that as a source of pain. When people are not dwelling with God, they make some bad choices, sometimes horrific choices that lead to horrific pain. And that pain affects more than just themselves. See, ultimately, the pain caused by sin is a problem. It's a problem that we all have to wrestle with. The sin of addiction has grabbed two more Shelby County lives the past couple weeks. Pain abounds. Pain abounds. There was news in our state this week as we think about Sanctity of Life Sunday where we celebrate uh, the life that God gives to us. We celebrate human life. There was news in our state this week that opens up the possibility of another facility to have an abortion coming. Pain will abound, both for those experiencing that, their families. Hundreds in our community will go without multiple meals this week. Pain abounds. In our community, while we sat here last Sunday, a young man took his own life because the pain had become too much. While we sat here, pain abounds. In our community, there are elderly who will sit in their homes this morning, unable to care for themselves to provide the most basic of needs. And they'll have little to no interaction with the outside world. And honestly, they're living day to day just hoping that nothing tragic happens. Pain abounds. Thousands, thousands in our community will go without the presence of Jesus in their lives this week. Pain abounds. Pain abounds. Andrew Peterson wrote a song titled, Is He Worthy? And as the song begins, it's a call and response. And these are some of the questions that he asks. He sings, do you feel the world is broken? And then you hear a choir in the background sing, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? The choir says, we do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. And so this morning, as we finish this series, as we think about what it means for us to dwell with God and with each other, I want us to ask those questions in a personal way. Do you feel that your world is broken? Do you? Or has your bubble kept you protected? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Are you ever close enough to those that are hurting and broken without Jesus to feel the shadow of what they're going through? 
do you wish that you could see it all be made new? You know, as we wrestle with the pain and brokenness of this world, it's overwhelming. It's daunting. And I pray that it, that it calls us to want to dwell with God more than we ever have before. Like, I don't want to just dwell with God because he's a really cool guy and he's all-powerful and it seems like the right thing to do. I want to dwell with God because with him there is no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. I want to dwell with God because he is the only thing that can sustain me through the nastiness that we face, through the darkness of what we're going through. Revelation 21 preaches to us the good news that the pain of sin will vanish in the presence of Jesus. The pain of sin will vanish in the presence of Jesus. You see, for so many of us, we celebrate the fact that when Christ died on the cross, the power of sin went away. When Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, we were freed from the power of sin. In other words, we can find freedom to live and to escape that, that, the, the chains of sin and to be away from that. We can, with his power, with his spirit inside of us, we can overcome the power of sin. But the thing is, is that the pain of sin still exists. And so we look forward to the day when we are in the presence of Jesus. Because in his presence, in his presence, the pain of sin will vanish. In John 14, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. In verse 3, he said this, If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. We continue the theme that, that God's plan, his one desire, his purpose in the scriptures is to find a way to dwell with his people. He just wants to be with us. And so he sends Jesus to defeat the power of sin, but then Jesus went back to heaven to prepare a place where his presence could dwell with us. And that place is the place that we read about in Revelation 21. We read in verses 2 and 3, John writes, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. I love the idea of dwelling in the scripture. It's this incredible theme. My family growing up was not a beach family. We weren't a vacation family, but we definitely weren't a, a beach family. And so I had never seen the ocean uh, until after I'd graduated high school. First time I went to the ocean was uh, the summer after I graduated high school with a group of friends. And uh, I grew up on the farm. Farmer's tans were real things. Cut off t-shirts. I worked outside like I get dark in the summer, okay? So we're going to the beach, and they're like, did you bring a hat or some sunscreen? I'm like, I'm a farmer. What are you talking about? I don't, I don't need any of that stuff. So we go to the beach. Beach, the ocean, amazing. How many beach people we got in here? Okay, a few. It's amazing. Love it. I, I had no idea what I'd been missing out on for the first 18 years of my life. But I was going to try to make up for all that lost time in one day. 
So the first day at the beach, I spend all day on the beach. People are like, hey, man, your back is red. Like, I'm good, man. I work outside all the time. What are you talking about? My back was red. My back was real red. So I got to enjoy the beach for the first time one day. It's great. And after that, if I wanted to go out on the beach, I had to sit under a tent. Like, it was the only option. It was painful to put on a shirt and walk to the tent. You know, like, it was bad. Okay, it was, it was bad. Uh, I've learned a lot of lessons over the years. I now, you know, I got my West Keene bucket hat that goes with me to the beach. And I, I wear sunscreen. I yell at my kids when they don't put their sunscreen on. Like, it's, I've, it, everything has changed. Why do I tell you this story? I want to read to you a passage from early in Revelation that describes to us who Jesus is in this big idea of dwelling with him eternally. Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 through 17. I'm just going to geek out on this. I'm just letting you know. This is like a really cool Bible thing for me, okay? And I hope that the Lord just, man, I hope that he grips your heart with it. Revelation 7, 13 and following. It says, then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Then he goes on in verse 15. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. You see that word shelter? It's the same word that we read in John 1.14 when it says Jesus came to dwell among us. And so Jesus came to dwell, to tabernacle us, so that he could defeat the power of sin. But when we join him in heaven as believers, he becomes our shelter. He becomes our tent. He becomes the one that covers us so that we can dwell in the presence of God. And then he says this in Revelation 7, they will no longer hunger, they will no longer thirst, the sun will no longer strike them, hallelujah, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb, for the Lamb, who is at the center of the throne, will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's just cool. That the God who created Adam and Eve and created this perfect world so that he could walk with Adam and Eve and dwell with them in the garden, like that God, when we messed it all up and sin became the thing that brought all this pain into his perfect creation, he said, I am going to dwell with my people. I want to. I will do anything in my power to do that. And so we see this long story coming where he, he teaches us the truth and then he sends his own son to dwell among us so that he could defeat the power of sin so that we could join him one day in dwelling with him where he would shelter and tabernacle and dwell over us so that we could be in the presence of our creator. Wow. That's grace. That's grace. That for all the pain that we experience that we bring upon ourselves because of the sin in our lives, He would still do all of these things so that we could dwell with Him. So in the years after 
that first trip to the beach, I've learned that the beach was a lot more enjoyable, that I could really enjoy and bask in the glory of God's creation if I did the things I should on the front end, if I prepared, if I prepared for how marvelous the glory of Jesus was going to be. Church, can we, can we do the same in our spiritual lives? Can we live today for tomorrow's life? You know, this is a principle that makes sense to us in so many areas of our life. Like, we think this way with our money. We think this way with DIY projects. Like, okay, i got to get everything I need because I'm not driving to Lowe's 68 times. Until you drive to Lowe's like 60 times and you count it a win because, you, you know, you cut off eight. I don't know. Like, but we, we know that we know, no, we know that we should live today for tomorrow's life. But we so struggle to apply it to our spiritual lives. It's like, yeah, that heaven with no more pain, that sounds great. I believe in Jesus. I'll get there one day. And then we just set it off to the side. We procrastinate on our life with Christ. So how can we live today for tomorrow's life? How do we, how do we practically do that? What does that look like, not only in Scripture, but for us here as a body of believers at Christ Community Church? We're going to walk through that. Before we do, first, this passage in Revelation 21, it speaks to those of you who, who don't believe in Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, or if you wonder, if you're not sure that you believe in Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here. And more than anything that I say today, I want to hear your story. I want to hear the pain that you're walking through. But Scripture does speak to you. In verses 6 through 8, says, Christ says, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. If you're thirsty to not be going through pain, if you're thirsty to dwell with the one who created you, unbeliever, it's free. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the adulterers, and all liars, check in for just a minute, that's all of us without our shelter, Jesus. Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If you're an unbeliever, this truth is important. But know that that same grace for those who believe is freely available to you. John 5, 24 says it so clearly when it says, Truly I tell you, these are the words of Jesus, anyone who hears my words, who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. If you're here today and you're an unbeliever and you want to prepare today for tomorrow's life, Eternal life is yours, free today for those who would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come to save you from your sin. But now for the believer. As a believer, how do we prepare today for tomorrow's life? Peter writes uh, a few verses in his second letter, 2 Peter 3, uh, verses 10 through 13. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be 
in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Righteousness dwells. You see, if you want to dwell with God, right living, righteousness needs to dwell in you. So last week we introduced this idea of tackling the truth. We talked about the process that our church has been graced to go through as we think about renewing our covenant with God and leaning in and tackling the truth of what Scripture calls us to in right living. And so today we're going to to quickly walk through uh, 13 core covenants that we see from Scripture that we want to make with God and with each other that call us to this type of right living. These, you see, become a picture of what we believe a, a mature disciple should look like. A disciple is, is not, hear this, a disciple is not someone, it is not someone who decided that Jesus was real, said, this grace thing sounds awesome, and then went back to living their life the same way that they always had. That is not a disciple. This is different. So what we're saying what we're not saying is that you have to like be nailing all of these things, that you've got to be 10 out of 10. That only happens in the presence of Jesus. With him as our shelter, there's grace. What we are saying is that all of us have some spiritual growing up to do, that the truth of Scripture that build our covenant help us to identify those things both within ourselves and as a community. So I want to do this quickly today, and I want to do this in a way that prayerfully helps us all to reflect. So when we start talking about grace and truth, right? And we're going to lean really heavily into the truth of Scripture here in just a minute. So like if Caitlin were sitting up here and I was like, Honey, I'm just going to choose to love you today, not because I want to, but because that's what the truth says. She's probably not going to receive that with much joy. Just going out on a limb there, right? Not a, like yeah, not going to happen. So when we receive these truths, here's what we do. We tackle them for ourselves, knowing that as all of us do that together, as a community, we experience the great grace of God. It's like us all getting ready to go and stand in heaven together and enjoy and bask in the glory of the presence of God. So let's tackle this together. Let's reflect on it. And let's lean in as we go through this process. This morning on the back of the bulletin, we've got these core covenants for you to look through. If you've got the Bible app open and there's a digital link in there. Um, next week, as we do Love Shelbyville, uh, we'll go through 101 where we, we are going to start doing some of these things as well. But here's what I want to ask you to do. Um, I'm going to read through some of these things, make a couple of comments, read a scripture that supports them. And as I do those things, I just want you, you might do this a couple of ways. Uh, some of you might just be thinking as the list as a whole, and you might be reflecting on and asking the Lord, Lord, show me one or two of these that I really need to grow in. Uh, some of you might, who are more analytical, maybe you want to give yourself a score, one out of ten on every one, and you can add it all up at the end, and then you can do it again in six months. I don't know how you like, you get super analytical. Dr. Mooneyhan, I'm looking at you. Uh, you know, he's going to have it all charted out by the time we get out of here, I'm sure. Just kidding. But I want you to reflect however the Lord would lead you on where the Lord is calling you 
to the truth so that you can experience his grace, the grace of his presence. Here we go quickly. Number one, a covenant to love God by being in active relationship with him. Micah 6.8, mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what, is the, what, is, what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. So I ask, do you walk humbly with your God? Do you walk with him as you wake up in the morning or has Facebook replaced the face of God? As you walk out the door of your house to face your day and make decisions that affect you and your livelihood, is there a humility that comes with knowing that God is leading? Or is there an arrogance that says, I've got this? As you parent and love your family, are y'all walking together with God or are you surviving one another and hoping the kids turn out? As you lay down at night, is there gratitude for what God has walked you through or is there groaning because you feel like you have to do it all again tomorrow? You see, when you have an active relationship with God, walking humbly with him, it changes every part of your day because you're walking in active relationship with him. Number two, I covenant to love God by spending time with him in prayer and scripture. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. What provides a light to your path? God's word or the words from your favorite blogger? God's word or the words that feel good? You see, the thing that's lighting your path controls which path you're on. God's word is the only light to trust. I covenant to love God by spending time with him in prayer and scripture. Number three, I covenant to love God by being obedient to his word. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Is the way that you live life different? When I say different, is the way that you live life more like Jesus than it was six months ago? Because if you're reading God's word, if you're walking humbling with him, you're going to come across things that call you to change. And if you love God, you'll obey And if you obey, you should consistently be living life a little bit more like Jesus. Is your life different than it was six months ago? I covenant to love God by being an active member of his church. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. How does the church have anything to do with loving God, you say? The church is God's plan. It's Christ's bride, and it's made up of the people the Holy Spirit dwells in. To be a Christian and not be an active member of his church is actually an oxymoron. As an illustration, if you only have 50% of a dollar bill, you have nothing. The same is true when it comes to God and his church. We give up dwelling with God for a million other things that keep us from being an active member of his church. A covenant to love God. It's the first part of our mission. We express it in those four statements. The next part is the idea of loving people. This team brought much-needed clarity to the ideas of loving people and loving community. And they said, you know, when we talk about loving people, what we're talking about is loving the mission of God, loving all people from every every tongue, tribe, and nation, loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's the outward focus of loving people. And the idea of loving community is loving the community of the church, the community that God is fashioning and shaping and getting ready for heaven. And so with that thought, our covenant is about loving people. 
says, I covenant to intentionally build relationships with those who don't know Christ. Jesus said himself in Mark 12, 31, the second, is, the second command is love your neighbors yourself. There's no other command greater than these. He told a parable of the Good Samaritan that reminds us of who our neighbor is. It's all those we come into contact with. So the questions to reflect on become, do I know the spiritual condition of the people that I have relationships with? Or do we just have common interests? Do I love them enough to care about them spiritually? When was the last time that I spent effort developing a real relationship with someone that was not already in my circle? I covenant to use my time, talent, and finances to serve others. John 15, 13 says, No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. So the questions to reflect on are, do I view my time, talents, and finances as something I've earned or worked really hard for, or do I view them as something that God has blessed me with? And do I trust that if my first inclination is to serve others, God will provide more than enough for me? I covenant to invite others to attend Christ Community Church, number seven. Romans 15, 7 says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. Are you comfortable inviting people to Christ Community Church? If you're not, why is that? Is it because you're not comfortable with where your walk is? If so, grow. But also know that that's not a very good reason because walking with someone is something that helps you to grow. Maybe it's because you don't feel comfortable bringing someone to our church or something about our church that makes you uncomfortable with that. And if that's so, I want you to know this from the bottom of my heart. My feelings, another leader's feelings don't matter. Let's have a conversation together about how we can make it better together. We may not know. More than likely, no one person can fix it. And we recognize that our preferences get in the way all the time. We are still sinners. But I know that if there are some ways that we can better be who we are called to be so that others are drawn to Christ, we want to move towards them. We want this to be a place where we can accept one another just as Christ has accepted us, welcoming others to join this community. But to love people is more than that. Number eight, I covenant to share the gospel and my story with others. Mark 4, 26 through 29 says, The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. All of us are responsible to sow seeds. And so I ask, have you ever shared the gospel with someone? If someone came forward this morning and needed to know how to have a relationship with Christ, could you explain that to them? If someone you loved asked you how to be saved, what would you tell them? Have you taken the time to prepare a two-minute elevator version of your story that points to Jesus and how he's changed you? That's how we covenant to love people. How do we covenant to love community? Number nine, I covenant to love community by being present for Sunday gatherings and community groups. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 
says, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, I hope the day is approaching because I want that no pain in the presence and the glory of Christ. And as we know that it is, we have even more reason to be together, to learn how to dwell in right living. So the question is, is gathering or being in a group, is it a box to check in your life? Or do you see it as a community that you're building? Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, those who love their dream of Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of Christian community. Don't let the dream of what Christian community should be keep you from engaging with Christian community. Number 10, I covenant to love community by being a consistent, accountable, and unifying member of the church. And at the same time, I covenant to gracefully hold church members accountable to do the same. Galatians 6, 1-5 is perhaps one of the most revolutionary texts for our day and age. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. You know what we do instead of this? Instead of what God paints in his word as a picture of healthy community? You know what we do? We make excuses. We get defensive. And we justify our actions as what's best for us. That's what we do instead. Here's the the sneaky, nasty side of all that. Since we don't want anybody to say anything to us, we don't ever say anything to anybody else. And all the time, we just tear down this community that God has designed for us to dwell in. Christian community is the exact opposite of that. The church should be the safest place in the world to not only ask hard questions, but to be asked hard questions. So I ask, when was the last time you asked someone to hold you accountable for your walk? When was the last time someone asked you to do that for them? And if it's been a while, when was the last time that you spent intentionally investing time in a relationship, in a community group, so that enough trust was built to just have the opportunity? It takes time, folks. And we have to take the the intentionality and the purpose of building relationships that are built on trust so that we can develop the kind of community that God has designed for us so that we can dwell with him. Number 11, I covenant to love community by praying with others in their trials and victories and meeting the needs of church family members. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Too often we do this from a distance. And yes, we should do it from a distance, but prayers in one another's presence, there's nothing more powerful. You don't know the need if you aren't present in one another's lives. Number 12, I covenant to love community by using the spiritual gifts God has given me for the building up of the church, both here at Christ Community and universally. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, one of the things that I've loved recently 
Paul Chitwood is the leader of the International Mission Board. And recently he's uh, been tweeting out a series of things where he tells someone's story and then he, he shows how they're using their gifts to serve the mission internationally. One that I liked recently said this, a software developer and manager by trade, but with a heart for the nations. He's now an international missionary using his skills to outfit personnel around the globe with the technology they need to get the gospel to unreached people and places. Who will go? That's how we use our gifts. One way to build up the church. Last but not least, number 13, I covenant to love community by submitting to the authority of the scriptures as the final appeal on all issues, including conflicts between church members. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as we seek unity, we can know that we will find unity in the word. So do your talking points and beliefs come from people or do they come from the pages of Scripture? Are you looking to make your point or are you preparing for heaven? That's the covenant in a quick nutshell. Throughout the course of this year, we're going to dig into each of these a little bit more through some videos, some interactive things for you guys. And then we're looking forward to renewing this and affirming this together as a church as we turn 10 in October. And let me say this about the covenant. It's not a tool to hit each other with. It's a tool that we build one another up with. It's a, it's a tool that, that, if we use it correctly, helps us to reflect on the truth of Scripture so that we might dwell and bask in the grace and the glory of God. You see, obedience isn't about regulations. Obedience is about being ready. It's about being ready for what God has in store for us. When we grow in our obedience to God, we place ourselves in a ready position for God to use us however he sees fit. I'm just going to go out on another one of those limbs that I don't think is much of a limb. I just don't believe you would be here today if you would not love to be able to do something to alleviate one of the pains that I mentioned earlier. How many of you would love to get rid of cancer? How many of you would love to solve hunger in Shelby County? How many of you would love to, to walk with an addict to the freedom of life without that, that addiction? And we want to be able to do that. We want to join God in His work and, 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 and basking in the glory. Like We want to go experience the ocean, don't we? question that comes on the back of that is how many of us are willing to seek the righteous obedience that gets us ready to do that? Let's go, church. Let's go. This morning as we respond, we come to, to communion, to the table, and if you're a baptized believer in Christ, we invite you to take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice, and as we do that, we remember Christ, right? His body, His blood. And this morning as we do that, I want us to remember that he is going to prepare a place for us. And in that place, we can eat the Lord's Supper with him. With him. Like he's sitting at the table with us. That's amazing.
And I look forward to that day. And so as we take the Lord's Supper today, we remember that. We celebrate that. We say, Jesus, we love you. And we are so excited. We are so looking forward to being with you. In fact, we're so excited to do that that we want righteousness, right living, obedience to dwell in us. Like we want to do everything we can to be ready. Andrew Peterson wrote that song, Is He Worthy? And as he wrote that song, he said, I began to write the song and I was thinking of these questions. And he said, I realized like the power of it for me goes back to something we would do in my church. He said, we would do this call and response. And the questions will be asked and we would respond as a congregation. He said, and in those moments, I realized that this, this chasing after God, this desire for right living, it doesn't just happen by myself. Like, I can't sing this song by myself, is what Andrew Peterson said. He said, so I wrote the song in call and response, and I'd sing these questions, and the choir would respond. And so this morning, as we respond to the grace of Jesus, that he is our shelter, that he dwells, and he wants to dwell with us forever, we're going to respond together. We're going to respond with the words of that song and call in response and recognize that he is worthy and we want to be with him. And because we want to be with him, we want to be ready. Because we want to be ready, we're going to chase obedient, right living. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm even going to stand. Watch out. You want to stand with me. And we're just going to, you see on the, the screen, the questions that come from the song. And in words in yellow are the words that we're going to say together as a church to affirm who Jesus is and how worthy he is. And then as we finish that, the band's going to play. Our servers are going to come forward and, and prepare communion for us. And we're going to respond to Jesus. We're going to dwell with him. We're going to look forward to the day where we'll take the Lord's Supper with him at the table. A place where there is no more pain. And we're going to commit ourselves to chasing after right living. The type of life that he would call us to so that we're ready whenever he calls. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Well, is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Well, does the Father truly love us? Well, does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of this? then let's respond. Let's respond with hearts attuned to His.